the anguish of being removed from society and forcibly isolated and quarantined because of something I couldn't control was raw. The day I was ripped from my parents' home and placed into isolation just merely to survive and ultimately die was unforgettable. The colonies housed a lot of people who were like me, those who were suffering. Often we didn't have fresh food or water, and, and those conditions only worsened the likelihood of my death. Death. Physical death. I viewed physical death as a release from my bondage. The anguish of living in total isolation, separated from my friends, from my brothers and sisters, from my parents, was demoralizing. I truly was unclean. I was what they said I was. I just wanted to die. Beyond the stigma that society placed on me were the true issues of my health. You see, necrosis had started to set in. I was slowly dying. From my fingertips up my arms, I couldn't feel. And because of this, it wasn't uncommon for me to injure myself. I would often break a finger or, or have a severe cut. And by the time I realized that something was wrong, it was too late. I couldn't change it. There was nothing I could do. I was slowly destroying myself. Infection was sitting into my wounds, and I was left with no alternative but to perform brutal, rudimentary surgery on my injuries. I often was cutting off body parts or scraping out pus-filled skin because of my illness. Society forced me to shave my head. They forced me to wear torn clothes. It had to be apparent that I was different. It had to be apparent that I was sick, that I truly was unclean. On the rare occasion that I was able to get out of the colony, if I were to walk anywhere, I had to declare as I walked, unclean, I am unclean. People had to know and people had to hear that I was a pariah. They had to know to flee from my presence. They had to know that to touch me was forbidden. Because if they did, they were going to become a pariah like me. You see, I had leprosy. What I heard, though, just couldn't be true. Stories of a man who was able to heal simply by his touch or by his word. People who were afflicted with things like me. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He made the lame to walk. He surely could heal a leper like me. I just couldn't get close. But I knew if I could, he could restore me. If I could get close, he could heal me. I, I believed this. For me, though, to take such a bold move, to step out into society, was surely going to open myself up for attack. For me to step out in a way to where people... 
people would see me in their presence, they would flee. It wasn't uncommon for the rabbis and the spiritual ones in this community to pick up rocks and throw them at people like me. They had to keep me away, to keep me in my place, because I offered no value to anyone. They had to remain pure at all expenses. How could I approach a man with such power when he had such great crowds around him? There's no way I could get to him. I knew I had to take a risk. I knew I had to make my way into his presence. I decided that I was going to wear a disguise. I would hide my disfigurement. I had to hide my shame. There's no way anyone could recognize what my true problem was if I was going to get close enough to this man. I was going to have to do what society had forced me to do all along, and that was disappear. But this time it was different. I had to disappear in plain sight. I worked my way through the crowds to the point I was within 30 feet of the man. I could see him. He was right there. But there were so many people, I couldn't get through the crowds. I couldn't get close enough to him. Did he even know if I was here? And that's when it hit me. I have to see Jesus. I can make this happen. I decided at that time that I was going to drop my disguise, that I was going to let people see who I truly was. I dropped my disguise and I declared in the, in the crowd, unclean, I'm unclean. At that time, there was mass hysteria. The crowd went berserk. They were running everywhere. They were looking to see where the noise was coming from. They were running towards me. They were running away from me. I was just ducking down in the mass of people trying to keep myself safe. And then it happened. I looked up and I could see Jesus clearer now. He was right there. But, but it was different. While everyone else was running from me, Jesus was walking right towards me. I saw him coming right towards me. And he... He sees me. Jesus is walking right towards me. I did the only thing I could think to do. I dropped to my knees and I looked at him and I said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you want to? Society has already declared me worthless. I have nothing to offer. I'm a pariah. There's nothing I can do. Why would you want to do this? And then it happened. What happened is so unexclaimable. He touched me. Jesus reached down and touched me. Doesn't he know what he's doing? Doesn't he know that just simply to touch me makes you unclean? But he did it. He touched me. And then he said these words, I am willing. Be clean. My skin was immediately healed. My broken bones mended. My missing limbs were back. How could a man do this? I was healed that day. Jesus healed me. How about you? Have you reached a point in your life where you're at the end of yourself, where you see no hope for any good, where your problems seem so overwhelming that you have no clue what to do. You've reached the point in your life where there's absolutely no hope. Perhaps, just perhaps, you're sitting in this room this morning with a smile on the outside, but on the inside, you recognize you're falling apart. Because if people truly see who you are, they're not going to accept you. 
Maybe you're dealing with some past abuse that took place in your life. And you think to yourself, I should be able to move past this, but you're stuck. It has a stranglehold on you and your thoughts, and you just can't move past it. Maybe, maybe you're trapped in pornography or some sort of sexual addiction. You've tried everything you can to self-medicate yourself, to find peace and happiness, but it doesn't work. You're just stuck. Maybe, maybe you're sitting next to someone right now, and they used to be the love of your life. But there's things happening in your relationship, in your marriage, and it's falling apart. And you don't want people to know what's going on. And the trauma that you keep uncovering that's happened in the past is just so much for you to take in that you just see no hope. Maybe you've been hurt by religion. You've tried this God thing out, and he didn't come through. He didn't work. And you know what? The people that follow him, they're idiots. But I'm going to try this again. Can Jesus really make a difference in your life? Can he really make a difference in your future? As I sit here in front of you, I ask this question, why? I sit and listen to stories like the one that I just gave you out of Mark chapter 1, and I think to myself, that's awesome that Jesus wants to heal that leper. I think it's awesome that Jesus was able to do that. But would he do the same for me? Sure, Jesus, you're able to heal me, but why would you want to? I'm glad Jesus was there for him, but what about me? We never question whether or not Jesus is able to heal us. What I struggle with personally is if he's willing. So my goal today, as we work through our time together, is this thought. Jesus wants to and will heal what is really wrong with you. He wants to and will heal what's really wrong with you. Let's jump into Mark chapter 1. It's page 812 in your Bible. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You could follow along in your electronic device. But today we're going to be in the book of Mark. And just to give a real quick snapshot of what Mark is. Mark was a guy who hung out with another guy named Peter. Peter was a guy who hung out with the greatest guy whose name was Jesus. So Mark would take the accounts of Peter, everything that Peter told him, and he wrote them down. So we have first-hand accounts of what Jesus was really doing. This was written way back, but this stuff is real and this stuff is true. So let's just jump into this. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. We're hit with this immediately. What do we know about leprosy at this time? Well, at the time, leprosy was viewed for punishment of sin. So basically what I'm saying is people viewed leprosy you, you have leprosy because you have some sin in your life that you haven't confessed, that you haven't dealt with. And, and we see that this was popular thinking in this time. There's other books that were written by people. The book of John in chapter 9, there's a statement where the disciples come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, there's a blind man. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Because really they're trying to get to the bottom line because they had this thought in their mind that everything we struggle with is because of personal sin. This is going to be important for us to keep in mind as we work through these stories. Leprosy created tremendous anguish and suffering. 
Lepers were referred to as the walking dead. You had leprosy, you were going to die. Because they recognized at that time the only person, the only person that could heal leprosy was God himself. That's what the rabbis taught. You have leprosy, sorry, you're going to die. The only way you're going to get healed is if God heals you. When I see the leper's behavior, I ask why. He comes to Jesus knowing that he had no other option. He recognized that for him to stay in the colony or to stay in isolation was going to have a far worse outcome than for him to step out and do what society would say and tell him not to do. It was worth the costs. And he recognized that he had nothing that he could do on his own to heal him of his problem. So he, he reaches Jesus and he asks this question, if you are willing you can make me clean. He doesn't approach Jesus with a demand. Jesus, you have to make me clean because you just have to. He doesn't approach Jesus with manipulation. Hey, Jesus, if you make me clean, I'm a great guy. I'm going to be able to go in and serve other people for you. Hey, Jesus, if you just give me a lot of money, I will give it to you. He doesn't approach it with the manipulation idea that we approach Jesus with at times. He approaches Jesus recognizing that his power and knowing that he did not deserve to be healed. But what he recognized was that this man could heal him. And it comes back to this question. Jesus wants to and will heal what is really wrong with you. Bottom line, the leper knew that what we sometimes don't realize and often lose sight of, and that's this statement, that Jesus wants to and will heal what is really wrong with you. When Jesus reaches the man, Jesus was indignant. This is just a fancy way of saying that Jesus had such deep, deep compassion on the man's, what he saw. Jesus could smell this man coming. He stunk. He was rotting. He could see this man's outward affliction. But not only that, Jesus is able to see inside of what's going on inside this man as well. Jesus knows this man's deepest desires. Jesus reached out and touched him. Don't miss this. He touched him. Okay, Jesus touched something that according to society, if you touch a leper, you are considered unclean. In the tradition of the time, if you were to even walk under a tree that a leper stood under that day, you were declared unclean. And Jesus reaches out and touches what the rabbis had declared to be unclean. He's touching something dirty. I am just so amazed at this. Because oftentimes in our churches, we want so hard to keep this place so pure that we're afraid to let those people that we're supposed to be reaching in. Imagine what would happen if we weren't fearful of, of them, but so confident in the message that Jesus has. It just gets me amped up, I'm sorry. Jesus touched him and made him clean. And this Jesus' answer is what even moves me even further. Jesus looks at him and he says, I am willing. Be clean. It was immediate and complete. It was visible to all who saw. And this brings us to this statement. Jesus wants to and will heal what's really wrong with you. He wants to do this. Why do I struggle with this? Why do I struggle believing this? Why do I get caught up in my present afflictions and affirmities 
and lose sight of such the big picture of what Jesus Christ came to earth to do. And what blows my mind is what Jesus does next. He looks at the guy and he says, okay, don't tell anyone. I don't want you to tell anyone what you did. I know you just got two new feet that you haven't had for a while and you want to run, but I don't want you to run to your friends. I want you to run to the temple and I want you to run to the priest and I want them to declare you ceremonially clean. Because that's their job. I healed you. Why would he do this? There's some speculation on this. I think maybe he did this because Jesus wanted the people and the, the, the guys that were the religious leaders to see if God is the only one that can heal leprosy, what did you have and what happened? This flies in the face of modern day religion of the time. There's something different going on here. There's somebody here and we're going to see some of the big claims that Jesus makes as we move ahead. But here's the bottom line for me. I can't necessarily explain what Jesus was thinking, but this is where I'll land. If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'll just go with whatever that man says. All right? So Jesus says this. I'm just going to go with that. You might call that a cop-out. I'm calling that a good answer because next week, John, maybe he can unpack this messianic mystery for us, but today we don't have time. So... A few days later, what happens? He tells everybody, we see, we see some impact. Jesus had to go off into the far country. The man's in the city. They kind of swap places. A few days later, Jesus again enters Capernaum. The people heard that he was home, probably at the home of Peter. That's where I'm thinking he's at. He's probably at the home of Peter. And they gather in such large numbers. What is the consequence for the man telling people? Again, dude, this guy's got some voodoo witch doctor magic. And he's making lepers whole, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick. I don't know how he does it, but he's doing it. So we have, we're setting the scene here. Such large numbers of people. There's no room left for where he's at. Hey, come on out. Let's hear the preaching of the local, the local city boy here. Because, man, he's saying some things that are so different than anything we've ever heard. And he's doing things that have never been done. He's attracting massive crowds. Jesus is mobbed. So what happens? Of course, anybody that has a friend or somebody that needs to get to Jesus, they're going to take him there. So some men take, Jesus, take their friend who's paralyzed. I've been having a terrible time saying that word today. Take, some men that, take a man that was paralyzed, and the four of them carry him to Jesus. They get to where Jesus is at, and what do they run into? They run into a massive wall of people, and they can't get to him. So they're faced with a dilemma. They couldn't get to them. Jesus, they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So they do what any good friend would do for you. If you're going to have friends, make sure you have friends that are going to break the law for Jesus' name. They rip a hole in somebody's roof, and then they drop him down at the feet of Jesus. This is unbelievable. Their dilemma was this. They had a paralyzed friend and they knew there was a compassionate miracle worker and they had no way of getting the two together and they weren't going to let any obstacle stand in their way of doing that because they knew the solution to this man's problem was Jesus. Just picture the scene. The man's lowered through the roof. Jesus, is, they're, they're, he's speaking, and people are ripping a hole in the roof, and you guys are trying to pay attention to me, and someone starts ripping a hole in the roof. It doesn't matter what I do up here. You're not going to pay attention to me. So dirt's falling down on Jesus' head. They lower his mat down right in front of him. You can see him. He's just making eye contact. The leper's making eye contact with Jesus, and he lands at Jesus' feet. And this is the moment we've been waiting for, the great anticipation. I'm finally at the, at the feet of the miracle worker. This guy's going to heal me. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, 
That's not why I'm here. I'm not here for, that's not why I came. Jesus, if I were the guy on the roof, I'd be looking down saying, we ripped a hole in this guy's roof, and he's not going to be able to help us fix it. What are we going to do? So he was met. with an expectation of walking out and he's laying flat on his back hearing your sins are forgiven. It really seems anticlimactic. He was let down into a room only to have Jesus let him down emotionally. You know, have you ever been let down because a prayer that went unanswered or an answer didn't just work out the way that you thought it should be. You have this thing you've been praying for your whole life. Oh, man, Lord, I, just heal me of my cancer. Lord, just, uh, just help me financially. Lord, just our prayers, we feel like they don't go anywhere. Maybe it's because we don't have a really good perspective on what Jesus is really here to do. And that's where it comes back to this statement. Jesus wants to and will heal what is really wrong with you. So now the teachers of the law... We're sitting there thinking to themselves, okay, this is bad when you're in a room with a guy that can read your mind. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. So the teachers of the law, this is what they're saying. Um, hey, listen, forgiveness of sins is complicated and expensive. And let me tell you something, Jesus, you can't do that. You have no right to forgive sins. You don't understand what it takes. You have to bring a calf or a lamb that is without blemish to the temple. That's really hard to find, and it's very expensive, unless you're in Lancaster County, because we have a lot of calves and lambs. So this is what it's going to take. And if you don't have money for that, you've got to bring a bird. And you know, you bring a bird, and everybody's going to know you're poor, but that's okay. You bring a bird. You've got to bring a bird. So if, if you couldn't find a bird, I, I don't know what you do. I didn't read that far yet. So the priest takes the animal into the temple. The priest would take the animal into the temple, and then the priest would take that animal, lay it on the altar. He's got to cut its throat. He's got to let it bleed out. And that blood would fall onto the altar. That blood would land on the priest. That blood would land on the person that's bringing the animal there. And then they would burn the animal. Okay, they're going to burn some of the animal up. And then you got your forgiveness. This was the process. This is what they were doing. And then the next year, you know what? We're going to do that again. You have no right to declare to forgive someone's sins. But let me put it to you as an illustration. This is what they're saying. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here's a, this is just a hypothetical situation. Let's say there's three guys. There's a guy named Roddy, there's a guy named John, and there's a guy named Tim. And let's say Roddy, John, and Tim work together in the church office. And John has an anger problem. He is an angry man, and he would lash out violently towards Tim often. And he would tackle Tim onto the ground and hurt Tim, because Tim is small. So, <laughs> so Roddy would look at John and say, John, I forgive you for tackling Tim. I forgive you for knocking Tim over. And Tim looks at Roddy and says, who do you think you are? You can't forgive John for what he did to me. Only I can forgive John for what he did to me. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. This is what the guys are saying to him. Jesus, if you are telling me that you have the right to forgive sins, the only person that has the right to forgive sins is God. Are you declaring that you are God? Bingo. That's exactly what he's declaring. And then he goes on and he makes this statement. Immediately, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He hears and he says, why are you thinking these things? My wife says this to me. 
she can read my mind sometimes, but I'm glad not this good. So, and then he makes this statement, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk out of here. Well, I don't know. Because here's the deal. I can say your sins are forgiven, and you see no change. Right? There's nothing that's visible that these people can see when Jesus says that your sins are forgiven. So he's going to lay down the trump card on these guys. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Don't miss this, okay? How can Jesus show that he has the authority to forgive sins? Because there are consequences for sin, right? We would all would agree with that. And if he can demonstrate the ability to remove the consequences of sin, then he can show also that he has the authority to forgive sins. So what does Jesus do? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. (laughs) So he says to the man, I mean, this is like the climax of everything. These guys are kind of like, uh, what is he saying? And this is what he does. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Jesus takes the paralyzed man. He forgives his sin. He takes the paralyzed man and he goes, listen, I'm going to prove it to you that I can do what I say. And the man stands up and walks out. Why did Jesus heal people physically? Well, Healing people physically showed that he could heal people spiritually as well. All right? He loved people and had compassion towards them. He wanted to show his authority over disease and illness uh, so that they could see that he had authority over the spiritual condition as well. And bottom line, Jesus was declaring and proclaiming that he is God. That's what allows me to stand confidently and say this. Jesus wants to and will heal what's really wrong with you because he is God. And he can do and does do what he says he will do. So don't miss this, though. Jesus demonstrated his authority over earthly disease of the broken body so that we can recognize his authority over the spiritual disease of our broken soul. Let me say that again. He demonstrated his authority over earthly diseases of the broken body so we can recognize his authority over spiritual diseases of the broken soul. He is God. Only God can forgive sins. So what does the man do? He got up. He took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. Everyone was shocked. They're like, "Woo! he healed this guy. This is incredible. We've never seen anything like this before. In full view of everyone, the man walks. It was a public miracle to publicly demonstrate that not only could Jesus heal the physical consequences of sin, he could also heal the spiritual consequences of sin or forgive sin. As soon as the man is healed, they are amazed. What's ironic about this? The man is healed. A temporary healing amazes the people. But what Jesus does back earlier in the chapter is he forgives their sins. He forgives his sins. Something that cannot be taken away from him, that will not go away. And the people rejoice in the temporary and they miss the permanent. Because I do the same thing all the time. I have a hard time recognizing that sometimes my permanent healing of my salvation because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the biggest thing that I can rejoice in. And I miss it all the time because of my present afflictions, my present affirmities, and what I'm going through. But the reality is Jesus offers me hope. 
How often am I like the crowd? How often are you like the crowd? So here's the reality. Jesus wants to and will heal what is really wrong with you. We don't see our biggest need as forgiveness because we don't see as God sees. We have such a temporary view of life. Most of the time, forgiveness doesn't seem like an urgent prime need to us. Uh, we don't seem to understand the importance of being connected to God through forgiveness. You know, our presenting problem is not our biggest problem. Let me say that. That thing right now that's on your mind, your biggest problem in your life, is not your biggest problem in your life. Your biggest problem in your life is you're standing before your Creator. And He gives a solution to that in His Son, Jesus Christ, who died, who was buried, and who was resurrected. And we know this is true because we have men who document the accounts of this, historically accurate and proven. Today, in our own lives, we do not connect the evidence of sin with our prime problem, sin. We don't deal with the prime problem. We are much more satisfied to deal with the consequences of the problem. We'd much rather deal with that thing that's afflicting us than deal with the real problem itself. Moving forward, we desire temporary healing over permanent forgiveness. I'm guilty of this. I am so guilty of this. Forgiveness should be our top request when it comes to God. The physical healing that he offered this man was not permanent. If it were, I would have got this paraplegic guy to be here in church today and, pre and to preach to us because he sure could tell his story better than I could. Jesus healed him, but you know what happened to that guy? He died. He's dead. He's gone. He's not here. He's not here to tell his story. But what is true of that guy is he stands eternally before God because his sins were forgiven. God gives to us freely what we need the most. Forgiveness in Jesus Christ. What we want the most is not often what we need the most. There's things that in my own life that I just ponder and consider all the time. Things that uh, maybe you're sitting in this room today and you've been battling cancer for years and you think to yourself, man, heal me, God, heal me, God, heal me, God. And I don't want to downplay your desire for that. I think that is a, a pure desire. But if that desire trumps your ultimate greatest need and that ultimate greatest need is to be forgiven... It really doesn't matter if you are healed today because you are going to die tomorrow. And if you do not stand before God forgiven, it really doesn't matter if you are healed today. This is the power and the message that, God, that Jesus was declaring to these people. I am God. I do what I say and I'll prove it to you. I can forgive sins because not only can I heal the afflicted, I can cast out demons, you know what, I'm going to go one further. I'm going to raise myself from the dead. And he does it. The power of this message should move us to action. It should move us. It should help move us out of our present afflictions. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you're wearing that mask of shame because you don't want to take that mask off because if you do, the people that are in this room are going to judge you. I want to give you a, point, a secret here. This place is not a plastic display case. This is not a display case for plastic Christians who have it all together. 
This is a hospital for those who are hurting and sick. Every single one of us has needs for healing. Recognize that need for healing. Take it to Jesus. Let him heal what is really wrong with you. Let Jesus heal what's really wrong with you. And then trust him with the outcome because your life is so short. It's a vapor. It's going to be over. Where are you going to stand in the future? Let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me for my unfaithfulness to you. Lord, I, I try so hard to fix all of my own problems with the belief that if I could, life would be okay. And Lord, I seek to have a life that is free of affliction and pain more than I seek to have a life that is directed and guided for you. Lord, this life is so temporary. I am so short-sighted. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today that is reaching the point where they recognize there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do to heal that deepest need that is in their life. Lord, if they've reached rock bottom and they recognize that they need help outside of themselves, Lord, we know that you are able and we know that you will do what you tell us to do. Lord, you are able to heal us. Lord, you, Jesus, you want to and you will heal what's really wrong with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your son. We ask this in Jesus' name.